Hey everyone, Amalia here, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode here on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. This episode is a part of the Equestrian Rider by Mechanics series, where I share with you how you can become a more effective rider. I've realized through my knowledge and experience working as a physiotherapist and also through observing and teaching riders in horsemanship lessons that the rider biomechanics piece is a big piece of the full picture when it comes to riding horses well. Because without being a good rider, we become a much more difficult load to carry for our horses and therefore we cannot communicate clearly and effectively in a way that enhances our harmony with our horses. Horsemanship and rider biomechanics really do go hand in hand, and I've decided to share more information with you on how you can become the best rider you can be. These episodes will give you a ton of value, and if you're hungry for more, then I encourage you to join my eight-week rider-specific exercise program, which helps riders become more fit, flexible, coordinated, strong, symmetrical, balanced, and ultimately achieve that effortless-looking riding position that we all desire. Find out more via the link in the show notes or head to amaliadempsey.com and click on exercise program. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 44 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, answering your questions part two, equestrian rider biomechanics series. Last episode, I answered your questions that you submitted as a part of the free connection and communication mini course. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, definitely jump on over to episode 43. So basically what I'm doing in these episodes is I'm answering questions that you submit as a part of surveys that you might have filled out if you have joined any of my freebies. And in today's episode, I'm actually going to answer questions related to rider biomechanics with questions submitted through the 10 free rider specific exercises freebie. Now, if you want to get your hands on that freebie, head on over to AmaliaDempsey.com slash exercises, where you will get access to 10 free rider specific exercises to improve your riding. These are exercises that I personally use to improve the qualities that I believe every rider needs to have in order to be effective and ride their horse in harmony. So if you want to get those, then jump on over to AmaliaDempsey.com slash exercises. They're completely free. Um, and I probably will be referring to them in this episode as well. So definitely encourage you to go over and do that. So with these questions, it will be more so related to uh, rider biomechanics and how to improve your riding, but that goes hand in hand with horsemanship anyway, so it should also improve your horsemanship. You might remember from last episode there were something like 69 questions or something like that, um, and there's a similar amount in today, so it's literally impossible for me to 
give each of those questions a good answer in the time frame given. So what I'm going to do is answer a few. And uh, because of the amount of questions and how good the questions are in from both last episode and today's, I'm actually going to use those questions to create future podcast episodes. So don't worry if your question hasn't been answered. I'm going to get around to it at some point. Um, and yeah, you can you can keep an eye on the podcast for future episodes related to answering those questions. It might not be formulated in a way that says your question's answered, but I might create a whole episode around a topic that you've asked a question on, so to speak. Okay, so let's go into the first question. How to make my seat more stable and balanced and my legs more effective and quiet? Okay, so that's a that's a big question. That's a few different parts of that question. And I think that every rider wants a stable and balanced seat and quiet, effective legs. So I love that this person has asked this question. Let's start with the stable and balanced seat part. So before I mention how you can actually improve the seat, I want to mention a few things that I think can affect your seat. Um, certainly the saddle that you ride in can affect your seat. Everyone has a different preference in terms of what saddle they like to ride in. Um, and I spent years riding in saddles that probably weren't suitable for me. Um, and I learned to ride well in those saddles, but then as soon as I got into saddles that really did suit my body and were more suited to the discipline that I was riding, oh my gosh, my riding improved so much. So, you know, if you're jumping, get a jumping saddle that fits both you and the horse. If you're doing dressage, same thing, get a saddle that fits you and the horse and you will notice it makes a huge difference in your riding. Of course, you know, the dream is that we can all ride perfectly bareback as well, but um, I, I just wanted to mention that, yeah, the saddle can make a huge difference if you are riding with a saddle. The other thing that can make a big difference in your the stability and balance of your seat is how your horse is moving. And this might seem pretty obvious, um, but it's something I've really experienced firsthand, you know, like even with my horse, Harriet, she's um, quite a difficult horse to, um, to, to help move in a more balanced and um, healthy way. And um, I really feel like I can sit her trot or stay in harmony more with her canter when she's using her back more effectively, when she's traveling more freely forward. And even there's been some times where I've played around with a movement called Spanish trot, which is very close to passage. And just the way she lifts her back, I am so easily able to sit and feel like I'm glued to her back because of the way that she is moving versus, you know, if we're doing a choppy little kind of small trot and she's sort of poking her nose out, riding more sort of freestyle, uh, it's a lot harder to sit that trot, to be perfectly honest. So I just wanted to mention the saddle and the way your horse is moving can make a big difference in your seat. Now we'll move on to things that can actually improve your seat, um, if you've already considered those two things. So to improve your seat, I really believe that you need to improve your body awareness around your pelvis through pelvic exercises. I remember that a time when I, well, before I became a physio and I really didn't have an understanding of what the hips and pelvis were, or even really the bony landmarks and where they were located. And 
this was uh, this was firstly a, a fascination for me. I was always interested in the anatomy, um, but it was also a bit of a handbrake because I really didn't have that body awareness. And a lot of us that ride don't have that body awareness. I think people who do sports as they grow up, particularly dancers or people that do calisthenics or any sort of work where you're really, any sort of sport or work where you're really having to use and get to know your own body, um, they, those sorts of people become really good riders because they have that body awareness. But don't stress if you're not one of these people who have grown up doing sports and whatnot, um, because you can still develop good body awareness around your pelvis through pelvic awareness exercises and pelvic mobility exercises. And I have plenty of those in my rider specific exercise program. And I also give you one in the freebie as well, the 10 free rider specific exercises. So if you want to get started with that, then um, yeah, I've got a video in there talking about the pelvis and an exercise you can do. So um, start there. The other thing you can do to improve your seat, um, particularly the stability and the balance, is of course no stirrup work, right? It's, it's kind of like when we make things harder for ourselves, they become easier. It's this weird paradox. So if you do work without stirrups, so either crossing your stirrups over or taking them off completely, or even riding bareback, you are going to be challenging your balance more and therefore improving your balance. I actually work quite a bit with um, elderly patients who struggle with balance and falls. Um, and you know, one of their main goals, they say, I just really want to improve my balance. I'm really worried about falling. And to their surprise, we actually get them into an exercise program that challenges their balance, that puts them in positions that actually make them feel a little bit vulnerable because it's in those moments that they actually grow and learn to improve their balance, right? They're not going to, they're not going to improve their balance if they just go about what they usually do and don't kind of um, progress or challenge their balance in any way. So we actually need to make things a little bit harder for them so that their everyday mobility um, is more balanced. And it's the same with riding. So if you can do, I know no stirrup November is a big trend, but if you can just do even, you know, five minutes at the start of each ride or even just five minutes a week, I'm talking to myself as well. This is something I forget to do myself um, as well. So the more bareback work we can do, the more no stirrup work we can do, the better our seat is going to be and the more we're going to synchronize our pelvic movements with our horses. I also want to mention with our seat, this is something that is really developed over time and also through riding a lot of different horses. I remember when I was riding at a dressage stable and I would ride lots of different horses every day and I really felt an improvement in my seat um, and I could really feel the difference in every horse that I hopped on. Um, it, was, it was really cool to feel that contrast and the differences between different horses and, and how I had to ride slightly differently depending on the horse. So, you know, the more horses you can ride definitely would help your seat and um, the more time in the saddle will also help. But that's not everything, right? Like I, I do think, you know, you can't improve your riding without riding, but 
it's got to be, there's got to be some cross training as well, because there's even some research to suggest that professional riders who do ride multiple horses per day, if they don't supplement that work with off the horse rider specific exercise, then they actually amplify their asymmetries. So it's still important that um, you're working on improving your asymmetries to benefit your riding. And we'll touch a little bit more on that later. I've got a question to answer around imbalances and asymmetries. The second part to this question was how to have more effective and quiet legs. So again, they're two different qualities. So let's first talk about effective legs. So effective legs to me means that your aids work, right? The cues that you're using through your legs actually influence the horse. Um, And this is probably a little bit more of a training question rather than than a biomechanics question. Absolutely, the position of your leg can have an influence um, over the horse and improve the effectiveness of your leg aids. But really, for your leg to be effective, you need to be aware of how you're actually training and applying cues. The goal for me is always to have the lightest aid possible, the lightest leg aid possible and invisible aids if possible, right? Um, And one of the best examples of this that I see is a rider called Anya Berin. She's a dressage rider. And when you watch her ride, it's, it literally looks like she's doing nothing. It's amazing. It's really impressive. And, and that's what I'm always striving for. And I know that it's possible. And I think we should all be striving for that also for the welfare of our horses if we're going to ride them because we ultimately don't want to use a lot of pressure on them. We want it to be a pleasant experience for them and we don't want to have to be constantly using aversive pressures to motivate responses. So effective legs to me means that your aids work and you're able to communicate in a really light and effective way. So this means that whenever you use your legs, you need to start with your dream aid. So the lightest amount of pressure you ultimately would like to use, even though you think that your horse might not respond to that amount of pressure to begin with. If you never start there, you'll never get there. So um, start with the lightest possible leg aid and gradually increase from there. And when you have used or applied your lightest leg aid, See if you can go even lighter than that, because it is possible. We know that horses can feel a fly, right? So start with really light aids. And this is something I really highlight in HFA, in Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy. In the last module, module eight, it's all about riding. And I talk about the sequence of aids. And I actually give you a video um, on how to practice your aids on a ball um, in your living room. There's literally a video of me riding a ball in my living room um, on how to practice your aids so that they are very light and absolutely automatic when you hop on your horse. And this is something I've personally done on my horsemanship journey and it's something I will still do if I'm needing to practice a new set of aids. So I really recommend that. Um, And I may even in future add this as a little bonus in the eight-week rider-specific exercise program because it's so effective and I've had so much good feedback on that one video alone. And I almost didn't even put it in the module. So (laughs) super glad that everyone in HFA likes that one. Anyway, so the second part of this, or the two, the second um, quality of um, the the legs portion of this question is effective and quiet legs. So how do we get quiet legs? 
So for me, quiet legs means that they don't move around and that you have excellent motor control of your leg in the saddle. So your legs aren't just moving willy-nilly without you wanting them to, right? Which can often happen when we ride. We all have these little idiosyncrasies of things, uh, of our different body parts doing different things. Like even personally, myself in my own riding, I have noticed that my legs, particularly as I've gotten older for some reason, um, they do seem to move a little bit more forwards and backwards which is something I'm personally working on. Um, but yeah, it's it's a goal for everyone to have really quiet legs. So they're not moving around or when they do move, it's purposeful movement. It's not that it's kind of random and we're not aware of them moving around. So in order to get really quiet legs, they need to be really stable, right? So one of my favorite mounted rider exercises to get a stable lower leg position is to do standing in stirrup work and this is in walk trot and canter so I want to feel like I can stand in my stirrups for literally days I remember in pony club we used to do this um, little exercise where everyone would walk around in a circle I can vividly picture it right now down to the instructor that was standing in the middle of the circle and we would all stand in our stirrups and the last one standing was the winner and because I'm super competitive you can bet that I learned how to stand in my stirrups for a long 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 time so that I could win that competition I don't think we even won anything but <laughs> um so yeah I practiced that from a very young age and I still practice it to this day one thing that I like to do, um, and again, I'm reminding myself to do this because it's so easy to forget, is that in the first five to 10 minutes of your ride, if you could do one thing to improve your riding in that five to 10 minutes, every single ride, then surely your riding is going to improve over you know, a three, six, 12 month period of time. In the rider specific exercise program, um, I give you eight, rider specific mounted exercises that you could incorporate in the first five to 10 minutes of every single ride that you do. But certainly standing in stirrup work is a great exercise to help improve the stability of your leg and thus the quietness of your legs. I also would like to say that improving your mobility awareness and control around your hips and pelvis also helps with your leg position because often, you know, you might see that it's your ankle or lower leg moving around a lot, but this could actually be coming from a stiffness around your hips or a weakness around your hips or a lack of mobility or um, awareness around the pelvis. So addressing that area might help the stability and quietness of your legs. So thinking a little bit more broadly and a little bit more holistically about what other things could contribute to a, a noisy kind of leg position. Okay, moving on to the next question, how to be more relaxed and supple when riding. Okay, so with this question, I feel that there's like a group of people who say that you've just got to be completely relaxed, remove all tension from your body when you ride. And then there's a group of people who say, no, you've got to be like rigid. You've got to brace your core. You've got to bear down and really create this um, like strength around your torso. Um, 
And I really think that neither is true. I think it's a balance between both. So you ultimately want to use the least amount of muscle activation necessary for the task at hand. And that really just um, explains effective movement, effective functional movement, where you're not um, using unnecessary muscles or unnecessary muscle tension to create the movement that you're looking for. And there's, there's not a lot of movement that, well, there is a lot of movement when, that we produce when we ride, but it doesn't look like there's a lot of movement. Like for example, you know, it'll look like a rider is completely still on a horse, but really there's a lot of movement happening in the pelvis and of the ankle. Um, and so if you have a look at one of your favorite riders, whoever it is on YouTube and slow that video down and zoom in on the pelvis or the ankles, you'll see there's actually quite a lot of movement there. So there's, there's, it's not recommended to like try and be still and completely rigid, even though that's what it might look like in terms of the end result, but it's equally not desirable to be completely relaxed either because you need a certain amount of muscle tension to keep yourself moving in harmony with the horse, right? So if we exaggerate that, a completely relaxed person, like an unconscious person, let's say, do you think they're going to stay on the horse? No, they're so relaxed that as soon as the horse moves, they're going to, they're going to fall off. So there has to be a balance between relaxation and right and um, tension rather. So if your tendency is to be more tense, which I'm guessing that is the case, given your question about being more relaxed and supple, then I would say to work, well, firstly, understand that it's, it's not about holding a position. Um, you do, do need a level of relaxation in your body to move in harmony with the horse and work on your relaxation in the easiest circumstance first. That might be just at the halt where you go through breathing exercises and progressive relaxation. So you can just really relax at the halt and then progress to walk, trot and canter. And don't be afraid of exaggerating this relaxation to, be, to begin with. Like there's nothing wrong with experimenting as in you know, you might ride really floppily and, and pretend to ride like an almost like an unconscious rider in a way. Obviously, please be safe. Um, but as in, you know, if you struggle with being tense, see if you can embody the complete opposite of that. And then you might find somewhere in the middle, which is where you actually need to be. The other thing is, if you are tense, it could be that, you know, you, you have a lack of flexibility or mobility in your joints and muscles. So perhaps doing a, a regular stretching practice might help with this so that you have a greater range of motion to move, particularly your pelvis and your ankles into when you ride. But there's certainly other areas that need um, mobility as well. Uh, again, eight <laughs> week rider specific exercise program has you covered with stretch sessions as well um, with specific areas for riders. So definitely check that out. I would also, I would uh, try and get you to think about what is the underlying reason for your tension? What is the underlying reason for your tension? Are you worried about something? Are you trying too hard? I never forget in a lesson I was working on leg yield once and the instructor, <laughs> I was trying really hard, right? Like I really wanted to get this leg yield good. And the instructor out of frustration, I think just goes, just stop trying so hard. <laughs> 
And, you know, sometimes we do just need to relax and, and not try so hard, which causes that kind of brace in our body. Just like relax and, and let the movement happen. Okay, so this question brings us to the next, which is a bit of a meaty question that it's multifaceted. And there was another question that was quite similar. So I kind of grouped them together. So the question is, how can I tell whether I need more strength or more flexibility in an area? Great question. And the other one is, how can I find out where my imbalances are? How can I correct these imbalances and how can I prevent them coming back? So I thought they were a little bit related, these two questions. So I'm just going to go through my answers to them and hopefully um, the answers complement both questions. So how can I tell whether I need more strength or more flexibility in an area? My short answer to that is through assessment. <laughs> and that assessment might be through a health professional, like a physiotherapist, um, who can do specific strength and mobility tests on you to see what your range of motion is, to see what your strength is, and compare the two sides, compare your left and right side, or compare your results over a period of time, say from week one to week 12. Um, but what if you don't have a physio who understands writing, or you, you just don't want to do, you don't want to have an assessment. Perhaps you don't really feel the need to, to see, to have an assessment. You feel like you're writing okay, but you're just curious to find out whether you do have, um, you need more strength or more flexibility in an area. You could look at the way you write, right? And even get your instructor's opinion. You know, does it look like I need to be more strong or more flexible? And I would say that, uh, strength is not the opposite of flexibility, right? You can be really flexible and strong. You can be really tight and strong. You can be really tight and weak. So they're not opposites. Um, but it's good that you're asking the question whether you took, well, on how to find out where you need to be more strong or more flexible. But I just wanted to put a disclaimer on that because I don't want anyone to think that just because you're um, strong doesn't mean your muscles are short. You can have you can have really good range of motion and also be strong. Anyway, so how can you find out your own um, asymmetries or whether you need to be more strong or flexible? And I would say through your own assessments. Okay, so through doing various strengthening and stretching exercises, especially exercises where you can compare your left and right sides, so um, exercises, one-sided exercises, you'll be able to feel the difference between the left and the right side. A really good example of this is in the stretch sessions in the eight-week program. We will often do a stretch where we work on the left side first and then the right. And you'll be able to feel pretty much straight away which side feels tighter to you. And you'll be able to see how, how much further you can go compared to the other side. So that's a great assessment for yourself. And you'll be able to recognize that imbalance straight away. Oh, my left side is tighter than my right side. I can move my right side um, much further into that particular range than the left side. So you've identified an asymmetry or an imbalance and you can proceed at working towards fixing that if you want to use that terminology. 
The same with strength tasks or motor control tasks. So we do a lot of motor control balance work in the program and again, a lot of one-sided work. So you might do an exercise on one side and feel completely natural and like you're killing it. And then we do the other side and you just struggle so much. And you'll see me personally do this as I walk you through the workouts. Um, And the thing is those imbalances can change from day to day. So I think it's great that you're thinking about fixing these imbalances or asymmetries and wanting to prevent them from coming back. But the reality is, will never really be 100% perfectly symmetrical and balanced. Maybe a very small portion of the population are those that are ambidextrous. But even then, I would argue that they have some slight or minor imbalances. It's the same with our horses, right? Like there's always one better rein. You ask a Grand Prix rider and they'll tell you which side their horse is more supple or stiff on. It's just a never-ending kind of, I don't want to say battle, but it's it's like a quest And I think accepting that, you know, we'll never be perfect as such is really healthy. But I also think it's great that we are on the journey of trying to feel more balanced, which of course is going to help our riding. So it's a little bit contradictory. (laughs) I'm saying that, you know, you'll never be perfectly balanced, but hey, keep working on it. (laughs) Um, But just know that you should see improvements, but it's not like you're going to reach a point where you're like, okay, I'm perfectly balanced and symmetrical now. I can just stop. Um, and I'll be perfect forever. (laughs) It just doesn't work like that. So be okay with being a little imperfect, um, but still strive for, for more balance and symmetry. I think with this question, I also want to point out that imbalances or asymmetries can be from a variety of reasons. They can be structural, like conformational, as in that's the way you were born. You know, people with scoliosis um, or a leg length difference, say, and things that we probably aren't going to be able to, like, quote unquote, fix as such without, say, a surgical or um, an invasive type intervention. And we, we almost need to kind of accept those conformational faults um, in both horses and humans and work with the body that we were given. An example of this is I have proportionally really short arms. It really sucks for riding because I watch so many brilliant riders that have these nice long arms so their hands can fit nicely, beautifully in front of the saddle. Um, And I have to work extra hard at keeping my hands still and soft. Uh, Hey, I'm not complaining like this you know, there's certainly worse things, but, um, we just have to accept that, you know, there's things like I'll never have a longer arms. I'm not going to be able to change that. There's some conformational structural things. That's a part of our skeleton and our um, DNA that we can't change. Then there are muscular asymmetries, right? And that's usually something that we have developed over time as a way Uh, through the way in which we load our bodies on on a daily basis, the way we hold ourselves, the types of exercise we do, the type of work we do. That is something we can change and balance with appropriate cross training like the eight-week rider-specific exercise program. I know I sound like a broken record, guys, um, but (laughs) there truly is no magic bullet when it comes to improving yourself as a rider, you've got to put the work in and I have created this program so that you can do that. So that's why I keep mentioning it. Um, And of course, if you want to check it out, then I would love to have you in the program. But anyway, so muscular balances, um, 
is something we can work on through exercise. And also we might have asymmetries or imbalances through a, through motor patterns. So basically through habits, right? We might just hold one shoulder higher, not because the muscles or the structure is holding it there, but because you physically have created that motor pattern where you're hitching one shoulder higher than the other. So that is something you can change as well, but no amount of stretching or um, strength work will change a motor pattern unless you put effort into changing that motor pattern. I know that was very wordy, but basically like you can do stretch and strengthening for days, but you also need to work on improving your motor patterns as well. So conscious practice, conscious rewiring of those motor patterns. It's uncomfortable at first, but over time you will see an improvement and it will no longer be a conscious thing. You will just automatically relax that shoulder down. Okay. I hope this is all making sense, guys. Um, let's move on to one final question because I've been talking for a while and I haven't even scratched the surface of these questions, but like I said, I will do future episodes on, um, specific topics. So it can be a little bit more focused. Um, but hopefully I'm giving you a good insight into today's questions around rider biomechanics. Okay. How do I improve my core muscles and how would I go about improving my posture? The short answer to this is you do core strengthening exercises and you practice good posture. (laughs) Um, so with your core muscles, um, core muscles, it's such a buzzword, the core, um, there's really no, uh, a consensus in terms of exactly what the core muscles are like different professions will give you a different explanation as physios we talk about the deep core muscles the transverse abdominis multifidus pelvic floor and diaphragm i know i'm just throwing a lot of words out there um, but if you i actually do have a little presentation on the core muscles that are important for riders in the free rider specific exercises in the core exercise, um, I can't remember exactly which number it is, but check it out because I do go a little bit, I do go into more detail on the core muscles there. Um, and at the end, I do give you a core exercise that you can practice right away to connect with your deep core, particularly the transverse abdominus muscle. So, um, I would say to improve your core muscles, do core strengthening exercises, but not just the cliche superficial six pack type sit up exercises, work on your deep core as well. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing more superficial core exercises, and certainly that's gonna improve your core. But when I talk about rider specific exercise, I talk about exercises that kind of mimic the function that we have in the saddle. And for the core muscles, particularly that's core stability, but also what's called isometric muscle activation. So when we're riding, you don't see us doing like sit-ups when we ride, right? We're not actually creating much movement in our torso. There's a little bit of rotation for turns and lateral work. And there's a little bit of movement for shock absorption through the lumbar and thoracic spine. But mostly our core is active in an isometric or static kind of function. And you can feel this, right? You will be sit trotting and you can feel your core burning, right? You're like, please, I need to rise. This is hurting my core, but you're not doing a sit up. So that's isometric activation of the core muscles and probably the deep and superficial core. And so it's important 
that the exercises that you do off the horse work on the similar sort of function. So you'd have isometric core stabilizing exercises. And again, that's all included in the program. So you don't even have to think about it. Okay. Um, and as for your posture, how would I go about improving my posture? I would say practice good posture off the horse. And I'm saying that as I'm sitting slumped with my head forwards, looking at my computer screen right now. Um, <laughs> but I also want to say that, you know, there's, I don't, I don't want to say there's no bad posture because if you are in any posture for too long, it could cause problems. Um, but very posture variability is really what we're going for. Our bodies are designed to move. But when we are riding, obviously it's desirable to have that elegant upright posture and it's functional as well. We're more balanced when we are in that position because our spine is in neutral and we our joints are more stacked and in their mid-range position, which means we can recruit muscles more effectively and efficiently. So I would say practice good posture off of the horse. Do postural exercises to improve the strength in your postural muscles. So many times I help people with their posture in the clinic and I put them into what I believe to be their um, most ideal posture and they go, oh, this feels so uncomfortable. Well, of course it does because it's not something that they practice regularly. So that motor pattern, that um, neural network of fibers, uh, they're not used to maintaining that position and the muscles are not strong enough to hold them in that position. They're so used to just slumping and relying on their joints and ligaments to hold them upright when really now we're asking them to use their muscles to keep them upright and their muscles are protesting. They're like, hey, this is hard. Of course it's hard to begin with, but over time it will get better. There's actually a little device that I like to use from time to time um, to improve posture as well. And it's called the upright go. And it's a little device that you stick to your upper back and connect it to an app on your phone. You calibrate your posture. So of course you need to learn how to find um, a, an optimal posture for you first. And then whenever you slouch, which inevitably will happen, especially if you're working at a computer or something, it will vibrate to remind you to find your optimal posture again. Now I have tried this device when riding, but I think because there's so many other sensory things happening when you ride, it was a little harder for me to tune into that vibration. And also because when you're riding, things are a little bit more dynamic. So it's not as simple as holding a perfectly upright posture. But I think that device can help you get a feeling of um, how to maintain optimal posture yourself. And I much prefer that sort of device over something like a posture brace, which usually your body will work against and you actually be <laughs> probably strengthening the opposite muscles that you want to as your body fights that posture that it's trying to hold you in. I also think with posture braces that it doesn't necessarily, yes, you might feel what optimal posture could be for you, but you're not actually training yourself um, how to maintain it. Like self-carriage, right? If we're just riding horses in side reins all the time, the horse isn't really learning self-carriage. They're just being held in that position. It's the same with a posture brace. And also with posture braces, um, they tend to just hold your shoulders back, which there's a lot more to good posture than just shoulders back has a lot more to do with your thoracic and lumbar spine, your cervical spine, um, the neutrality of your spine, 
and less to do with retraction of the shoulder blades, which really is what people mean when they say shoulders back. So yeah, there's a lot more to posture. And again, I talk about that in the eight week rider specific exercise program. It's really a mouthful saying that I should come up with a shorter name for it. But anyway, okay, that is today's questions answered all around rider biomechanics. I hope you've learned a lot from today's episode. And uh, I think up next, we might have an interview. Um, I do have a schedule of podcasts um, that I've put together for 2023, a lot more solo episodes this year, which some of you have requested. So I'm excited to give you those. And, uh, I hope that you have a very happy, healthy and horsey 2023, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about the fact that we spend so much time, money, and research trying to improve our horse's health and fitness. Diet, physio, massage, cross-training, vet checks, supplements, equipment, pole work, farrier, stretches, the list goes on. But what if you're missing a huge part of the equation? The rider's fitness. I believe that it's our job as equestrian riders to be the best versions of ourselves, both mentally and physically, so we can make our horse's job of carrying us as easy as possible, and therefore improve symmetrical loading, performance, and behavior. And by fitness, I don't just mean how far you can run or how heavy you can lift. I mean rider-specific fitness, all the qualities riders actually need to be effective in the saddle. Things like balance, symmetry, alignment, strength, stability, coordination, body awareness, flexibility, mobility, motor control, and relaxation. What if you could easily follow a physiotherapist-designed rider-specific exercise program to develop these qualities without having to drive to the gym, spend hundreds or thousands on a personal trainer who doesn't really understand riding anyway, or waste time trying to find the best exercises for riders on Google, which will give you so many different and sometimes conflicting results. Instead, all you need to do is click play, follow along with me, and watch your riding transform over eight weeks. Over 100 riders have already used this program to improve their riding and are loving the results they are seeing so far. And I guarantee that if you complete the program, you will also improve your riding. This program is valued at $500 Australian, but if you sign up before January 31st, 2023, you will get the program for just $157 Australian. And yes, I have a payment plan available. And yes, you can buy in any currency. But what if right now is not the best time for you to get started? Don't worry, when you sign up, you get ongoing access so you can complete it anytime you like and as many times as you like or buy now, complete later if now is not the best time for you. Click the link in the show notes or head to amaliadempsey.com and click on exercise program and get ready to transform your riding in 2023. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode.